Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are king. We come here this morning and we pray that you would just reign over our minds and our hearts. Draw us close to you. Get us on that path that you would choose for our life. Help us to have that discernment to see you as the one who always does what is right, as the one with the power to save our lives. Father, we come to you this morning. We pray that you would just empower us with your word and strengthen us at your table, that we can be your servants in this generation to advance the kingdom of heaven. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. Do you like the kids marching through, by the way? Did you notice that? Yeah? Did you, did you notice what they were flapping? See, you got to get into the small things. We work really hard at planning, even the littlest of things. Did you see what they were clapping? Palms. Hands. Palms. Ah, oh, the lights just went on. Did you notice what the guy said in the video? It's Palm Sunday. In the pro- Jeez, i got to explain it to you. Okay. All right, but we work hard. Okay. Well, uh, work hard because we want you to get the basics. Get the basics. That's what we're doing. We're just doing some basic stuff. And today you're going to do another one of those like, yeah, okay, right, fine. But, boy, I just hope you you think this morning about what this basic truth can really mean uh, in our lives. And, you know, it's Palm Sunday. And, and so the theme, of course, is, is kingship. And uh, the basic truth is just basic, that Jesus is king. That's it. Uh, But how amazing it is if we understand that every single day, if we understand that every single day Jesus is still king. I mean, we get that kind of, that time frame, that helping us extend and and understand the nature of what it means to say Jesus is king and and forever. When, When you go into the scriptures and you start looking at how many times in the Bible we get that awareness, just that basic statement that Jesus is king. So you can go to the Gospel of Matthew, and in the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, in the very first chapter, in the very first verse, it says this. This is the record of the family line of Jesus Christ. He is the son of David. Oh, wait a minute. He is the son of David? Wait a minute. Come on. I know the Christmas story. You know the Christmas story. Who is Jesus' earthly father? Some carpenter guy named... Joseph, right? Yeah, well, so why in the world does Matthew start his gospel saying, well, he is the son of David? Because it's basic. It's a basic understanding that is so important to us to understand from the very beginning that Jesus is king. He's king. We even get it as we go into the Christmas story in the very beginning and and those wise men show up and uh, they have the the chutzpah, you know, to go to King Herod and say, hey, by the way, King Herod, where is the child who's been born to be king of the Jews? So we get right away in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew and with the Christmas story, the proclamation, the basic awareness that Jesus is king. He's king. If you follow it along, it's like bookends when we go to the the end of his life, so we did Matthew the beginning of his life, we go to the end of his life when he's crucified on uh, Golgotha, and, and they put him up there on the cross, and they put a sign over the cross, and it says in Matthew 27, the sign read, this is Jesus the King. 
of the Jews. He's a king. It's like beginning to end. We get the message in the scriptures that says, listen, this Jesus, this is just no ordinary person. This Jesus is king. And, and he was king when he was born. And he was king when he died. And every day in between, he was and is king. And so he still is. See, it's just a basic thing. Just a basic awareness that Jesus is king. And when we get to Palm Sunday, we can see him display kind of those kingly qualities, the, the, the nature of what one would expect of a king. So that there he is on the, on the Mount of Olives, and Jerusalem is down before him, and he starts just kind of barking out kingly instructions, right? So Matthew and Mark and Luke and John all record it. In the Gospel of Mark, it says, Jesus said to them, to the disciples, Go to the village ahead of you, just as you entered it. You'll find a donkey's colt tied there. No one's ever ridden it. Untie it and bring it here. Now, there's two amazing things in that statement. Uh, number one is that he just kind of gives this, this, this order as a king, right? Just, just go there, and, and, and there's going to be a donkey and a colt, and, and just bring it to me. And Matthew says, if anybody says anything, just tell them the king needs it. Just tell them the Lord needs it. Amazing. I mean, just amazing that somehow this, this king can just order people around like this, and they go do it, and people that are just not even named in the story will just give up their property just because the king needs it. Do you get a sense of him being king here? I mean, he's just being king. And then on top of that, they bring the donkey and the colt, and it says in Mark here that no one had ever ridden on it. And Jesus, the king, does what? Rides it. Anybody want to volunteer to be the first person to ever ride a horse or a donkey? Now, I mean, this just shows his kingly power and quality, right? That, that even the animals in this case are absolutely submissive to his reign. It's an incredible theme in the scripture. This is this basic awareness that is over and over again that just says Jesus is king. The disciples went and they did just as they were told to do and they brought the colt and they placed, placed the, colts on, the coats on them and Jesus sat on the coats. And so then the next thing is, so what's up with the coat thing? I mean, they bring the donkey, I get that, and he rides on it for the first time, pretty amazing stuff. But what's up with the coats? Well, the whole coat thing was another sign of kingship. We can go into 2 Kings 9. And in 2 Kings 9, Elisha the prophet has sent one of his servants to go find Jehu and to anoint him as king over Israel. So the servant goes, finds him, anoints him, there's guys hanging around after the whole thing is done. Jehu comes out. The guys are like, what was that? Here's where it picks up. Jehu says, here's what he told me. He announced, the Lord says, I am anointing you as king over Israel. The officers quickly grab their coats. They spread them out under Jehu on the bare steps of the house. Then they blew the trumpet. They shouted, Jehu is king. Do you notice the first thing they did? They took off their coats and spread it before the king. It, it's a kingly thing. I, 
that's what they did. I don't understand it, but that's what they did. And so on Palm Sunday, we get Jesus with the donkey, and right away, what are they doing? Off come the coats. Off come the coats, covering the coats, covering the donkey with coats, putting coats on the ground, putting palm branches on the ground. It's a whole triumphal entry. This guy is important. He is obviously a king. And the crowds get involved in it, and it says the people spread their clothes on the road, and, and others put down branches, and some people walked ahead of Jesus and some other followers behind him, and all of them shouted, Hooray for the son of David. We just did that in Matthew 1, didn't we? Hooray for the son of David. God bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hooray for God in heaven above. It is an amazing experience that proclaims the basic truth. Jesus is a king. He's a king. And, and if you follow the story along, Matthew says he's not just any king. He is a promised king. He's a promised king. He quotes Zechariah 9. He says, so God's promise came true. Just as the prophet said, announce to the people of Jerusalem, your king is coming to you. He is humble and rides on a donkey. He comes on a colt of a donkey. Now what's neat about that passage is... Matthew looks at the experience and he understands Jesus is not just any king. He is the promised king. And he quotes Zechariah 9. Now look at Zechariah 9. This is really neat and powerful stuff. Zechariah 9 says this. City of Zion, be full of joy. Were they a little full of joy? Hosanna, pretty good stuff. People of Jerusalem, shout. A little shouting going on? Absolutely. Now watch this. See, your king comes to you. He always does what is right. Would you say that with me so you get it in your head? You ready? He always does what is right. He has the power to save. Say that one too. He has the power to save. Those are incredible statements. This is what this king came to do. This is what makes this king different. He isn't just any king. He is the promised king. And the promised king. The promised king always does what is right. And he has the power to save. And he's gentle, and he's riding on a donkey, and he's sitting on a donkey's colt. This is the power of Palm Sunday. It is to proclaim not only that Jesus is a king, but he is the promised king. And this promised king, he always does what is right. And he has the power to save. Why is that important? It's important because Jesus isn't your usual king. He's just not your usual king. It says that when Jesus entered, he went to the temple. Well, if you were a usual king, if you were there to take over and accomplish a coup, and you marched from the Mount of Olives and you marched into Jerusalem, I mean, all the people no doubt expected a usual king he would march in and go to Herod's palace and say, Herod, you're out of here. Or, or he would go to Pilate, the governor's place, and go to the office and say, you're fired. You've been replaced. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, it says when he comes into Jerusalem, he goes to the temple. And when he goes to the temple, he creates a tremendous stir. It says, 
he enters the temple area and he began chasing out all those who were buying and selling there. He turned over the tables of the people who were exchanging money. He also turned over the benches of those who were selling doves. I mean, he acts with kingly power and authority. And then he does an amazing thing. He quotes Isaiah and Jeremiah. Jesus says to them, it is written that the Lord said, my house will be called a house where people can pray, but you are making it a den of robbers. Now, why is that important? In Isaiah 56, Isaiah the prophet is prophesying, and he is saying that one day God will make it possible for all people to come to him in prayer. That, that he will make it possible for all people to have the opportunity to be in a relationship with God. And in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah is talking to the people of God and saying, listen, if your life is out of order, if you're wandering away from God, God is going to give you the opportunity to come back. God's going to give you the opportunity to get your life back in the right place. Jesus is not a usual king. Why is he not a usual king? Because he always does what is right. And he has the power to save everyone. He is the fulfillment of the promise. He is not a usual king. And you see it right away. Uh, when you think about what usual kings are like, you, you go back to Samuel, and uh, the people of God are asking for a king. And Samuel says, you don't want a king. And they say, oh, no, we want a king. And then Samuel talks with the Lord, and the Lord says, look, Tell them what kings are like. So here's Samuel's description of a usual king, an earthly king, usual king. Samuel told them, here's what the king who rules over you will do. He will take your sons. He'll make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they'll run in front of his chariots. He'll choose some of your sons to be commanders of thousands of men. Some will be commanders of fifties. Others will plow his fields, gather his crops. Still others have to make weapons of war and parts of his chariots. He'll also take your daughters... Some will have to make perfume. Others will be forced to cook and bake. He'll take away your best fields and vineyards and olive groves. He'll give them to his attendants. He'll take a tenth of your grain and a tenth of your grapes. He'll give it to the officials and the attendants. He'll also take your male and female servants. He'll take your best cattle and donkeys. He'll use all of them any way he wants to. He will take a tenth of your sheep and goats. He or you yourselves will become his slaves. What's the theme of what a usual king does? He, I made it bold so you couldn't miss it, takes. Feels a little familiar right now in the world, doesn't it? He takes. See, Jesus is not the usual king because he came to do always what is right. And he has the power to save. Why? Because he is an extraordinary king who gives up everything for you. He doesn't take. He gives. He gives away his life. And you see it right away after his temple experience is done. And he's, he's trying to get the temple back to a place where everybody can get in a right relationship with God. And where everybody can confess and turn around and get right with God. The very next thing he does, blind people and those who were disabled came to Jesus at the temple and he healed them. He didn't take. He gave. He gave. 
You see, for us to get this every single day is, is basic. For us to get and understand Jesus is king when he was born, and he was king when he died, and he was king when he rose up, and he is king at this very moment. And he is the promised king, not a usual king. He is the promised king, and this promised king is ready to always do what is right in your life. And he is always there with the power to save you from whatever you're experiencing. He is an incredible king. He is the king who is there to do and reign in the throne of your heart. And to always do what is right and to have the power to save. You see, you may look at your life right now and you have to ask the question. It's, it's a basic thing when you understand Jesus is king. You've got to ask the question and say, is my life right? I mean, is things right? Am I in right relationships? And are things right in my work life and, and what God's called me to do? And, and is, are things going right in my life? Am I, or have I messed up? Have I gone down the wide path of destruction? And do I need somebody to step in and just straighten it out and save it? You have a king. You have a king. And this king... That's what he does. That, that's what he promised him. That's what he came for. That's what he's about. He is the king who always does what is right, and he has the power to save. And his invitation is wrapped up here in Matthew 11. It's a straightforward invitation. It just says, listen, basic truth. Yes, I'm king. I'm king. But if you're tired from carrying heavy burdens... Come to me, and I'll give you rest. Take the yoke that I give you. Put it on your shoulders and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble, and you'll find rest. This yoke is easy to bear, and this burden is light. He is king, and he always does what is right, and he has the power to save wherever you are in your life. Let me give you... Uh, one small example, and uh, it, it's just a simple example. Just one of our people shared this with me this last week, and I, I just kind of struck me, so I, I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, one of our people came to me this week and just said, Pastor, i got to tell you, God is so amazing. And, and since I've been coming to Christ Church, and, and since I just gave Christ charge of my life, my life is totally different. And, and she said, here, smell me. Not a usual request I get. And she said, you don't smell any smoke, do you? I said, no, that's awesome. She said, I haven't smoked for a month. That's fantastic, I said. She said, what's even more great is how God did it. She said, I tried on my own. I tried over and over again to give up smoking. I tried cold turkey. I tried this method, that method. I tried, I tried, I tried, and I just couldn't do it. And finally, one day, I was driving in my car, and I said, Lord... If you want me to quit, you got to do it. He said, I'm driving down the road the other day. I'm going up by, uh, by Target. And for some reason, I just felt like God was directing me to go there. So I pulled in. And I went into Target. And I'm walking through the aisles. And I see these lozengers that can help you quit smoking. He said, I don't know why. I just was felt like, okay, this is what I should do. So he said, I went over. I got the lozengers. I went to the counter to pay for them. The lady rang them up, and they were $27.80. She said, I looked in my wallet. I had exactly 
$27. Do the math. The lady behind the counter started going in her pockets, trying to find extra, extra change in her pockets. She didn't have 80 cents. said, I didn't know what to do, so I told the lady, well, just cancel it. So she hit the button on the register, and it printed off the cancel receipt, and right behind it came out a coupon for $1. I, she said, I asked the lady, can I use this? The lady said, I don't think so, but let's try it. And it worked. She said, I walked out with the lozenges and change. How'd that happen? Because he always does what's right. And he has the power to save. That's it. In the smallest of details of your life. Here's the problem. The problem is you got to just say Jesus is king. Not with your head, but also with your heart. you got to be able to say today, my life's not right, but I know we can set it right. i got some stuff that's got a hold of me that i got to give up and get out of my life. And I can't do it, but I know a king who can. When Jesus is in front of Pilate, Pilate says, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answers him and says, Well, Pilate, those are your words. Here's the deal. Are those really your words? I mean, every day. Every day. Do you live under the truth that Jesus is king? And he always does what's right. And he has power to save. Think about what it means for us to say Jesus is king. It's just basic. Watch the screens for a minute. Listen to just a great preacher who uh, does an incredible job of trying to just challenge us to think about what it means to say uh, Jesus is King. This is one of my favorites, so you're going to hear it over and over again because I just like it, and it's true. Ready? Watch the screen. The Bible says my King is the King of the Jews. He's the King of Israel. He's the King of righteousness. He's the King of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know it? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. 
He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Jesus is King. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you would send such a one as Jesus to always do what's right and have the power to save. Lord, we just, we come before you today and we're ready to do whatever you ask. If you ask us to go find that donkey in a colt, we will go find it because you are the King. And if you ask for us to let go of whatever it is we need to let go in our life, we'll do it because you ask, because you're king. And Lord, there are things in our lives that we need you to step in and take control of completely and get right. There's things in our lives that have control of us, that have power in us, and we need you to just break that, that power and just cast it aside so that you can be the center of our days. Lord, we ask that you would just come, not just be a king in our head, but the king of our heart, the ruler of our footsteps, the guider of every path and every decision, that we would do everything that pleases you and honors you, that we would lay not only our coats, but our time and our lives before you. Lord, we know it's just basic, but make it real. And be our king. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.